Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Today we're going to be discussing product market fit amidst market headwinds. What you're really saying is, what do you do when people stop buying your products? Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's how to do it. Maybe that's the overly blunt variant of it. Well, I love that. Let's talk about it. Paint a scenario here. Give us a fictional company and a fit scenario, and then let's talk about our experiences. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to say there's probably a lot of real companies where this is happening right now. But when 2020 hit, it kind of really threw the market into the digital realm, right? For the first time, we all started over, we started over investing in every single tool that we could possibly have to enable remote work, to to enable the digital space when we could no longer, when we couldn't be in person. And now as we look at the market, you know, things have kind of shifted a little bit back. Maybe some companies are still remote, but when the market goes down and sales go down across the board for everybody, it makes everybody think, hey, do we have, our, is every tool that we purchased, is everything that we have still relevant today or could we do without it? And I know people do this too, right? Like when the market goes down, maybe your salary goes down, your hours go down. If you're a general person, you start looking at what are the non-essential things that I can cut? And I think a lot of companies over the last couple of years in this post-COVID explosion followed by recession created products that were nice to haves, not need to haves. And now we got to, and now we got to reconcile that. I think there's a lot of VCs and boards of companies that are looking at EBITDA and evaluating that efficiency and the profit and true performance and, and less so on the just grow at all costs. To your point, Lou, I mean, you look at like Meta and Facebook where they traditionally have taken those approaches of grow at all costs and now have to really focus on that EBITDA, which maybe they it's a muscle that they have a strong, it's all perception. I, I have no clue what they're doing, but that's kind of the general sentiment. If you swing the other way and you're completely looking at profitability, you have to really be really cognizant in, in your investments, right? From the product lens, from the staffing lens, from a tool lens, from everything, especially with what we're experiencing now, there's a lot of softness in the industry generally because a lot of folks will potentially hold they'll tighten because of how it's impacting them. And then they also will focus on the things that matter most. That is the biggest thing to understand from this behavior that we'll see is, do you matter most? Does your product, does your feature, are you solving a big enough pain point to be immovable in midst of a market headwinds? Let's say you're at a company and you know what? The reset, you know, with this recessions hit, maybe you're finding it harder to get sales or you've lost a lot of customers in sales. What's the first thing you do once that realization fundamentally hits you and you go, oh no, it's not just going to be a bad quarter. It's like, no, this is going to be a bad period of time. Do you figure out what value you're providing, what product your value is providing? There could be an approach as a business and strategy that you're making a lot of different investments and you need to relook at those investments. So the first thing I would do is more from a product perspective, look at the lens of investment and where you're putting that today and how you need to shift accordingly. And so typically you have some percentage of allocation of resources or part of the strategy focused on stability. 
or focused on scalability or feature development or product market fit expansion. There's all these kind of percentage of allocations that you can put your resources and times and your strategy. Now, if this happens and we need to go back to the drawing board because of a, you know, a pivotal moment, how do we then reallocate? Are we now investing with the new information in the right places? So I look at it as like if you're a PM on a Gantt roadmap and you have a bug, a P1 bug that comes through and blows up your roadmap, do you just keep the roadmap the same? Probably not. You make some adjustments. You probably take a look at is are those estimates appropriate? Are the, is it still appropriate within that time? Do we need to readjust the roadmap to make sure that we don't have any of those P1 outages or something like that now? And so I think of that as a similar type of incident and moment in a company strategy of it's that moment, let's reassess and then let's see what makes sense moving forward. It's nice that it's happening now because it's always usually when companies plan for the next year and they're, they're already thinking about this stuff. Yeah, I think also there's another point that I would be curious about is, okay, we're losing all these deals, we're losing sales, but why are we losing them? I think this ties into your point, Lou, of are we really a nice to have product or are we trying to get to a should have, must have? There's obviously something missing there. There's some value that they're not seeing and a reason why this tool is the tool that's the first thing that comes into mind when they want to cut costs. And then I think there's an element of maybe there's too many personas that the tool is trying to go into and this is the time to hone down to one that is marketable. And there's an element of scarcity. There's only a certain runway a company would have. And so how do we plan strategically? And that sometimes in a way can come from the, the leadership team as well. I agree with both the perspectives here. And this is where I think you kind of touched on the, the bit of the strategy part, which is, okay, how badly are we hit? I think that's the first thing that I would try to assess is, did we churn 50% of our customers? Was it 10 are we expecting it to get worse and how bad are we expecting it to get? Directionally speaking, when the market's in an upswing and people are purchasing your product, I would maybe look at use and say, did people really adopt this product or were they just buying it because it was a nice to have and only a small percentage of people are truly using it? I'd want to know those things ahead of time because maybe the entire market is down. And I think about this myself, like imagine me, it's like, let's say you got to cut one streaming service because I've got all of them right? Which one are you going to cut? And the answer that I'm going to go with is like, well, whichever one has my favorite content, I'm going to keep. Whichever one is driving the most value, right? Right. But that also could be subjective. It could be subjective to an audience segment. Yeah, right. It could be subjective to... And so mm -hmm. that's what I mean. Like, I would want to understand how, how bad are we getting hurt yeah. first. And then once we're getting hurt bad, what I would say is, okay, let's assume worst case scenario that this recession impacts us by let's say worse than we expect and for a certain period of time can we stomach that and if the answer as a business is no we can't then what i'm going to start thinking about is okay how can i start kind of to Madea's point like what beat me out in this race is there literally nobody at all who's now playing in this space or did they pick somebody else over us and i would go start asking okay, why did they pick that over us? And how can we either get back to get a piece of its pie? Because people are still clearly investing, yeah. you know, but we need to make some additions to our product. I think that's that's the first phase that it probably take. It depends on what phase the company and product is in as well and, and how fleshed out those things are. Because inherently, you'd want to answer some of those questions before you enter into a market. 
in an ideal state. If you have a fire, then you're going to want to fuel the fire as quickly as possible. So you might ignore some of these things. And that actually might be something to take away too, is in order to prep for the incredible growth you might have, and it's not a flash in the pan, make sure you do your homework before that thing happens. And if it does, make sure you do it as quickly as possible to support that growth in the right way so that when the shit does hit the fan, then you are prepared, right? Or you have a perspective, you have a point of view. Because when you're looking at the analysis of that data, especially if you're a newer company or newer product, how are you going to be able to effectively understand those things if you don't have names for the segments you serve or if you don't understand their underserved needs that you actually address or you don't understand their alternatives they're going to today and why you replace them? If you don't have that understanding, the, you know, the assessment of the situation is going to be very difficult and time-consuming, and by the time you actually get there, it's too late, right? And so maybe maybe some you know tactical advice there would be the Make sure you answer some critical questions before or now, today, and be able to do that so then you are prepared in whatever situation comes. I think there are some critical like strategic things that you can ask, and we use a template. I can kind of walk through some of these segments or these questions to ask, but I don't know if it's the right use of the time. I would assume you have a perspective on this, and then that for informs you know those those pivotal I'd be interested in some of the questions for sure. I think there is a, there's an interesting area here, which is about business resiliency, right? Like some products that have found true product market fit don't get, you know, don't go away even when the market goes down. And there's a question of like, how resilient is my business to that? And I think that gets back to your operating margins. Are we profitable? Are we operating at a net loss? You know, and one of the questions here too is what's the role of product in this? right? Product can help, but like, I always feel generally speaking, like product needs to be able to add not only the voice of the customer and how we build the right product, but we need to be doing it in a lens where we understand the greater business market. And I think that's one of those areas that as people advance in their product career, you start getting more and more exposure to, you know, Hey, if you're at this bigger business and you're responsible for a product that's generating hundred million dollars of revenue, you got to know what market forces are going to dictate that revenue and those options. And you're going to have to understand which ones can I control and which ones can't I. There's so many different frameworks and strategies out there around this, like Blue Ocean Strategy versus Red Ocean. Dan Olson that has been on the pod has a really good on the product market fit or that was the product strategy grid that he uses that I really like. I think, you know, if you were to ask yourself, maybe three of these questions in terms of market, this could really help inform you today and you don't have to spend weeks on investing into a framework or something. Three core questions. Who are your direct competitors? So those who are attempting to solve the job that you're solving for in the same way. Who are your secondary competitors? So those who are attempting to solve the same job that you're solving for in a different way indirect competitors is who attempt to solve a different job with a conflicting outcome. That one is a little bit hard to understand, but if you answer those three questions, now you understand where your customers potentially would go in these pivotal moments and why they choose those other places ahead of yours and why they choose yours instead of theirs. And if you don't have that perspective clearly outlined, list it out and then talk about it. 
They choose this partner because of this. They choose this partner because of this must have or this performance benefit, right? But they choose us because we do this, right? And whatever this differentiation or this this key value prop that we provide, we have to be the best at, right? And if we're not, it's not a strong product strategy. And then you need to rethink and look at that red ocean and determine what is being underserved and how can you better service it with, and, and try to make, you know, salvage what you've already built in whatever way you can to, you know, pivot your strategy to focus on that blue ocean. How would you handle if you get different answers to the question? Like everyone has a different answer to that question. You're in trouble. <laughs> no, I think everyone's going to have their own nuances, right? But if it's drastically different, you need to have a come to Jesus meeting and get alignment, right? You And you can you can use that with data and, and, and ideally, right? You can, I would love to leverage your customer data, but if you're a new product and you don't have like years and years of data to leverage to, to tell the story, it, it can be difficult. And so what you can do is try to find the market data to tell the story and, and why that makes sense. But, and then, and, and to Lou's point, like where is, what, What's products involved in this versus like the leadership and the 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 CEO or the the that right. executive team kind of planning this strategy, right? This is a part of a business plan. You should know these things. If you don't or have a point of view, you're really setting your team up for failure, right? Because you don't you can't point them in a good direction by yeah, providing them with I'd, context. I'd agree with that. And that I would say that one of the most challenging things is reading false positives. And just because you're in a market that works on the upswing does not mean that it's the right market for you. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that everybody's mm. got to deal with is how do we make up for the false positives? I, I have this saying, you know, if you turn over enough stones, you will find something, right? Like, you know, and what it means for that is you can take a product and let's say you canvas a city you could eventually convince somebody to buy it. Doesn't mean that they were the right buyer. The crux of the sales-led strategy is that you go out there and just sell them to anybody and everybody and you kind of start, you've, you've turned over enough stones and eventually you've gotten some. But it doesn't mean they were the right use case, the right buyer for your product, the right market. And I think that's also what we've seen a lot in this economic downturn is that these and sales strategies targeted maybe the wrong buyers and this downturn has forced that business or those customers to reconcile with the fact that they probably don't need that product in the first place. Maybe it's not the right use case for them. It's a nice, well, it's a nice to have. It was yeah. on there. Really touching at the two go-to-market approaches that are really at odds today of the sales-led versus product-led. And what it really means and getting to the root of it is, you know, your product is the thing. And it's not the sales that is the thing to actually gain adoption and to gain the revenue. That really, it's just, that's what it is, right? At the core root of it is the people buy the product. They don't buy the salesperson in the relationship. If you truly lead with the product, it is recession proof or it is market headwind proof because you've established that product as a very strong must have or an undeniable factor within that customer segment's toolkit, right? Are there companies that sales-led approach works for them or is it universal where sales-led is destined to fall because it's not bulletproof or it doesn't I'd, accommodate? I think there's different phases 
of growth. Sometimes you get a new product out to market and you just need to get those sales dollars in to help you refine it and, you know, get you in. Sometimes you create a really great product and, you know, maybe it takes off like wildfire and that's awesome. Or sometimes you take a really good, you have a good product and you're not really sure. And you really need the sales to come in and help you, you know, move that along. I heard somebody say it once that the true sign of product market fit is when people come to look for you and what you have to solve as a sales team is a discoverability problem. Like they didn't know you exist. And as a result, you can put money into marketing and you put money into things and then people will come to you. That's where I think that's like the one part of product market fit. But if you are in the other one where you have a product and sales is out trying to force it into a, a shoehorned approach, that's usually where that's going to come yeah. bite you. It may not bite you this year, but it might bite you next year. Or in this case, it might bite you on the market term. I don't know if there's a, a uniformity to a product-led organization versus a sales-led organization. It's really your market strategy. But then the, at the core of what makes product-led work is the, the product itself and how it solves the need. Now, I think it, it's really not a, one or the other. And I think it's in stages, right? Stages of growth. And so I, I hate to see startups start with sales-led or marketing-led because that is where they fail. Because they think yeah. there's an acquisition problem. They think there's, we need everyone to get it, gain access and visibility when they haven't solved the core thing, which is the product. And so I think you need to flip it on its head. You need to start with product-led. And really, I love customer-funded business models because now you've mm. established the profitability of it. You start with that, you showcase the value of your product, you understand the undeniability. And when you can't c continue to support the acquisition channels organically, that's when you fuel sales-led as a tactic. But it's yeah. not long-term sustainable, it's periods, right? And so you look at, there's going to be that period where you look back at this shotgun approach and say, well, we could be more efficient, so we're going to refine. Well, we could be more efficient, so we're going to refine. Or this person was, you know, it didn't work out, right? And so there's a lot of churn within that kind of approach too. But it's just different phases and when you're featuring product, what they, what it needs in the moment. And yeah. is it, is it well, the right thing that it needs, right? You know, and I'm going to take this up one step from the product led piece. And I want to say that really at the heart of being product led is being mission led and knowing the impact that you want to make for users and for the world or the community or a segment abroad. And I think that's one of the key pieces to, to that as well is, you know, you can build the best product that's the most user-friendly thing in the face of the earth, but if it doesn't really solve that true desire and you haven't really created a mission that is worth going for, you're, everybody's going to have a struggle, including sales-led things, because you don't know who you're selling to. You don't know why you're selling. And as a product team, you don't know what you're building and what change you're trying to make. And I think those are the real, that's the real underpinning, even behind just product-led is, yeah, you can build the, I've seen many, many products out there that are product-led organizations that are beautiful products, don't have that mission and don't have that problem. And those ones hurt just as much. And the, I feel like with a mission, there's also an element of like focus that I think sometimes when whether it's sales led or or not, like when you have a mission, 
you can always use that as a place of reference when you're building products. Like is, is what is our idea going to help with this core mission or not? And if it's not, I think that gives you a sense of direction or focus, whether this is something that's even worth doing or well, that. The, so in terms of that template that I referenced earlier, the first two things is why does your team exist? What are you trying to achieve? What is your purpose? That is the mission, right? What, what mission are you on? And then your vision, which is what does the world look like when you've achieved your mission, right? So if you understand those two very clearly, you know, that's really important because then it's it's this guiding principle of this guiding light in turmoil and, and, and friction with the day-to-day. So, yeah. Well, let's give out some homework to our listeners on this. And uh, this is a very interesting topic. I still don't know what the name of this concept is, but it's something around the strategy or product market fit turmoil whatever so uh, yeah i would say you know i think let's let's is homework for for what i have is that those competitive advantage questions so direct secondary indirect so think about answering those questions and um you know starting the dialogue especially if you if you don't if your business doesn't understand this today have a point of view start the dialogue and say i think it's this but correct me if i'm wrong right and then you can start to build uniformity around this approach and this collective kind of awareness of where you fit within the market. So that is what I would pass along. I think take a step back, take a breath and start by understanding, is it a, do we have a problem ahead of us or do we not? You know, I would want to know this, you know, I encourage everybody to think about the scope sometimes because usage goes down or sales goes down by 10, 20%, you know, or even more, maybe it's just a blip in the radar. And I want you to identify whether or not it's a blip in the radar first before going to ham and pivoting your strategy. And then I'd also want to understand, you know, is this blip in the radar something that the business can, you know, can deal with? And if it is, maybe sometimes the best course of action, even though it can be hard, is do nothing. Continue on the path. And I want people to figure that out ahead of time. Yeah. And I think just to add on, this theme is to continue to ask questions and be honest with what the reality is, not what it should be. And I think, you know, when you're talking with people trying to get answers, you know, parse out what's some of the overly optimistic versus what's the reality. And I think data will really help out as well. Love it. Well, thank you both. Looks like we finished up our coffee, so go level up. This has been Product Coffee. Produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.